Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spider. So last episode, we did the first annual TBS Spider Awards, which was something fun that I thought maybe people would get a kick out of. And quite frankly, it was, a, it was fun for me. I think I mentioned at the end of the video, at first I was like, I, I was kind of hoping people would enjoy it. And at the end, I'm like, I don't care. I had fun anyway. I deserve to have a little fun. So the verdict is in. People seem to really enjoy it, which is great because I already kind of secretly planned to do this and it, again anyway. It's just... It was a fun way to look back at some of the things that happened over the years, some of the spiders I had. The the big A big part of it was the fact that I don't talk much about when I lose some of my old ones. I don't like to bring things down. There's really no way to bring it up and up. So it was kind of a nice way to work that in and just kind of think about some of the species I had. And I'm even thinking ahead to how it's going to be different next year because, again, as I've mentioned many times, every time I do try to do some type of list, I'm always kicking myself in the butt afterwards because I missed something or I have a different one I'd want to put in there. So it was a fun way to do it. So I'm glad that people responded. I got several comments about it, a couple really good ones that I wanted to share. First one by Tim Share. Of course, these are from your collection. More awards to consider. Flash Award for teleporting. That's an awesome one. I didn't even think of that. And as soon as I read this, like, oh, I could have done my fastest spiders. This year, it would have probably gone to one of the curtain web spiders because they are so quick, especially on their webs when they sense that there's prey there. We have the Houdini Award for Escapee. Hopefully, I'm never able to do that award, although I will admit the other night while feeding, I have a mature male P. Cambridge and I opened up the thing. It was sitting in the bottom of its enclosure, and I went to drop in a cricket. And as I'm getting ready to drop in the cricket, I'm like, I should probably get the top ready because I have a funny feeling it's going to get startled and bounce. And lo and behold, I drop the cricket in. It gets startled and goes right out the side onto the table. It was like, this never happens with me. And I saw it coming like a doofus. I did it anyway. So I guess we have one in a nominee, a nominee for next year. So we'll see how that goes. The Andre the Giant Award in honor of a new name for the Titan Award, the Mini-Me Award for Dwarf. That's a great one. I wish I had thought of that. I have some lovely dwarfs now. Pantry Award, the one for one species everyone should have in their collection. Head Slapper Award, funniest moment about you and a spider. That could be definitely very interesting. Uh, this is one that's something that stands out for a good time story. Awesome. Tim, I appreciate it. Awesome suggestions there. And definitely, I've already jotted a couple of these down for now. Obviously, it'll be a year on from now, but be looking for some of those to pop up. We also had some folks chime in with their own list, which I enjoyed reading. Very cool. It's it, Again, I think people have fun just kind of going back through and taking some of these topics and figure out what would fit this. So we got a, a, a wonderful list from Joe Merringer. We got a list from Skippy Coyote. We have another list from Charlotte. Lee Atry uh, chimed in to say that he loved the idea and also talk about the fact that he picked up one of the Barbarous Growth Enclosures, or a couple of the Barbarous Growth Enclosures, which uh, those are really getting out there. I just featured a video, and I'll talk about this at the end of the podcast when I talk about what I did on YouTube this weekend. But uh, I'm really enjoying those enclosures, and I'm really uh, psyched that folks are liking them too because sometimes you put something out there as an enclosure style, and you like it, and all of a sudden people come back and go, yeah, I bought this, I was really underwhelmed, it was a waste of money, and then I feel bad about it, but again, the majority of the stuff I put out there is stuff I've purchased, and I find to be worth it, so then I just leave it up to you guys whether or not it's worth your dollar, I know I just did a video that featured one of the barbarous growths, and usually I put something in my videos saying, if you don't like to spend a lot of money on enclosures, or if you prefer to make your enclosures, that's totally okay, these are for people that don't, to head off the comments where somebody goes, these aren't worth the money, just make your own. I get that every single time, and I don't think people understand that that's great for somebody that has the tools and the space and the time and the skills to build their own enclosures. I understand. Someday I would love to get into that because I am fairly handy, and I think I could do it. But right now I don't have those things, and a lot of people don't have certain components. They don't have the space. They don't have the time. They don't have the ability. So let's just recognize that they may not be worth it for you, and I can completely understand that. would not even argue it but they could be for other people. And then William West chimed in with, love this, a delightful recap of the year. Surprised we didn't hear an award for your Emuranus, who was in full death curl, but bounced back, or the other T that did similar. Great choice of Spider of the Year. That pokey comeback story was so great to follow along with, and I can't wait to see the rehouse and recap video she gets. Thanks for all the great content you put out there, man. I appreciate it, William, and believe me, the Emuranus was on the list at one point. I was trying to figure it out, and it was kind of in line for the Spider of the Year because originally we're going to have comeback of the year for spiders that actually looked ill and then came back, but it just kind of bummed me out that I would have to do something like that. So, yeah, and plus it was rather new on the list. It was a newer 
incident. So it, the thought process was there. It was one I thought of considering or I considered putting on, but then in the end it had to go to that pokey. It had to go to seven. And I am looking very forward to putting out that final video because, again, we talked about the fact I have this huge Exoterra Mini that's been sitting here vacant for her. It was the thing. It was kind of like my little promise to her that she pulled through. She get that nice big enclosure, and so Billy and I were already talking about how we're going to do that video, and it's going to cap off like a year and a half with this spider that going through this terror, these terrible molts, and coming back from it. And I will tell you, I'm not going to lie. There was a point where I didn't think she was going to make it. Everybody was coming on, and I felt terrible because they're like, "Tom, you're you're going to save her. You're obviously going to. She's going to pull through because you're taking care of her. She couldn't have a better person for it." And I was like, "Yeah, thank you, but I'm not so sure about that. I'm doing my best, but we'll see how." goes but she definitely pulled through I will look very forward to finally ending that whole ordeal and ending it in such a positive way being able to go all right here she was and what I will do is do a whole it's going to be a big video because I'm going to do a whole thing from the beginning each molt we'll talk about it share some of that footage and then we'll finally get to see her go into her new home which I will also set up on video so very excited about that one it's one of those ones I don't care how many people watch it it's for me like I just want to be able to go wow she made it and now look where she is so Thanks for all of you that took the time to comment. Just know, guys, if you put a comment up, I have to approve it, and I sometimes forget to get to it till later on. So if you put a comment up that doesn't appear immediately, it just means I haven't gotten to it and approved and approved it yet. So I've had some people like, I, I'm putting a comment. I just put a comment on it. It didn't show up. Yeah, I have to go back into the, the back end of it and go, yes, I approve it, and yes, and then respond. So thanks, everybody, that took the time to comment. We'll definitely be doing this again next year, and now that's one of the things I'll be doing as the year goes on is taking notes for possible candidates for some of these awards quote-unquote awards were given out so for the bulk of today's podcast every once in a while somebody just hands you one on a platter and it's perfect and I received this one as a comment on one of my YouTube videos it's from Earth's Geomancer and he or she now that I realize it I'm not sure who it is but this individual has been commenting comments on my videos all the time, comments about the podcast, so I truly appreciate it. I, I want everybody to know that anybody that takes the time to comment on either a video or the podcast, I really do appreciate it, which is why I try to respond to everything, or at least the podcast, try to read some of them on the podcast to show my appreciation, because it does mean a lot that you take the time to do that. But the comment was, hi, Tom, not sure how feasible you think this is, but I would be very interested in hearing a podcast on organization and management when it comes to keeping teas. So some of the topics they offer are labeling tarantula enclosures, record keeping, dates of acquisition, sex, feedings, molts, rehouses, scheduling, feedings, water bowl changing, refilling, spot cleaning, being time efficient and making time for other hobbies. Very interesting one. We also have tracking and inventorying feeders, substrate, containers, and other supplies. And finally, avoid burnout due to the more repetitive requirements of the hobby. Very, very interesting topics. I love it. They do all go together wonderfully. And I did do a podcast a while back on how to manage large collections and covered some of these to some degree. But I think this is phrased in a different way and brought up some topics that I didn't cover them. Plus, I think we have to look at just general people that are just getting into the hobby, starting to build their collections. Because it takes a while for most of us to get to that point where you're going, Wow, this is really time-consuming. So awesome question, an important question, one that I think a lot of us kind of fumble through as we get into the hobby, and it's in some cases can be dangerous to not think about some of these things, not just to our animals, but to our own mental well-being when we get into a hobby that maybe some at some point it stops being a fun hobby, stop, starts being a chore, and that's when you run into trouble. So what we're going to do is take this point by point. I'm going to offer all I can offer on this in, the, in most cases are what I've done, what I've gone through, my own suggestions. This will be something that I will be asking folks to chime in on. This shouldn't just be my way or the highway, or all right, this is what I do, so you have to do it. I'm sure every time I do a topic like this, I have so many folks chime in with, hey, I do it this way. I, I do this. So let's hear about it. This is an important one and have those ones up there. Because again, one of the reasons I like the comments is that folks that come to the website, listen to the podcast, can then scroll down and go, all right, what are other people saying? This is what Tom says. What are other people saying? And that's where I think that important piece comes in, where it's feedback from other folks. Sometimes people have totally different ways of doing things that are just as good. Let's hear them. Sometimes I steal stuff from you guys. Let me be completely clear. A lot of the stuff I do in the hobby, I've picked up from other people that I've been talking to. And I always try to credit, especially if it's something new that I'm doing, like, hey, I just talked to blah, 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 and they told me this, and I'm trying it. It works great. But let's get that information out there. So labeling tarantula enclosures. That one I find fairly 
Simple for me, I one of the best investments you can make when you start realizing that you're gathering or collecting a lot more of those little containers on your shelves that have little spiders in them is to pick up a labeler. One of those, I have one that is a Dymo label maker. It's one of the portable battery powered ones. You just type in crude, crude little typing device, but you type in whatever name you want. It prints it out in a little sticker. You pull the tab, the tabs off the sticker right on your enclosure. It works great. I love this thing. I think it was about 40 bucks when I bought it, $39.99. You can buy the little label cartridges to refill it when it runs out. I picked mine up. I'm looking at my old Amazon orders. I actually looked it up in August of 2014. Holy geez, I've had this thing for a while, but it's worked great. Every once in a while, you replace the batteries. Every once in a while, you replace the labels. It works wonderfully. I've spoken to other folks that want to do more beautiful labels. There are many programs and things you can design using a computer and your printer. You can buy the labels and print them out and have all the information. I've seen people that really go all out with it and they'll have like the species scientific name, common name, the name that they gave it if they named their pet, maybe some information about whether or not it's an arid species or a moisture dependent species. There's so much you can do in terms of labeling. It just depends on how crazy you want to get with it. Now for me, I just like a little label with the name. I don't need all the extra stuff is for me personally, but I'm not saying that other folks might not like that on there. It's kind of cool for when you're showing them off. And I've had people show me, you know, pictures of their spider collection. And I've kind of quietly envied the fact that there's these little beautiful labels in the corner, sometimes with a little color picture of the spider and everything just looks so cool and official for me. It's just a little white tab with the name on it, but label maker, I would definitely encourage anybody that has or starting to amass a larger collection to pick one up. Back in the day, what I used to use is a piece of tape and I'd write the name on it. I, I Pretty handwriting, I think, overall, but it wasn't. I realized very early on that I wanted to do something a little bit nicer, but definitely invest in a label maker or something that you can, if you have a computer printer, really nice computer printer, you can use that. One piece of advice I'd give people is when you start getting a larger collection, because we're talking about labeling tarantula enclosures, but also the organization of your enclosures comes into play when you start getting a large collection. So for example, I have one whole row on the bottom shelf of my main shelving unit that all it is is essentially larger terrestrial tarantulas. And there's a reason I have them all there. Number one, when I break out the dubia roaches, because those are the ones that I have a lot of my Formictopus species in, my Pamphibedia species, the larger tarantulas, the Nestis are now down there. I can feed them all dubias at the same time because a lot of times I'm bouncing back and forth between different feeders. Sometimes I have the, I a lot of times use the B lateralis roaches for the smaller animals and for my slings. I have crickets. I still use crickets for, you know, just about everybody. And sometimes the bigger ones will get those too. But then sometimes I go and I give all the big ones a big fat B dubia roach. When you organize them like that, it makes it easier to go, all right, today I'm going to do this shelf here with all my terrestrials. And you go through, you break out the dubias, you crush the heads, gross, you throw them in, they eat, all's fine and dandy, and now you know where to set off next time. I also used to, if anybody watched my YouTube videos back in the day, I had this whole shelf that all it was was arboreals. It was a top shelf in the room. And I essentially had all of my arboreals up there or like my juvenile to smaller adult arboreals, either in those one gallon Walmart mainstay jugs or the 8 by 8 by 12 inch exoterras. It was just, we called it arboreal row. And I knew that when I was feeding, and this is why I like organizing, uh, organizing them this way. When you get a, a super large collection, you're not feeding everybody in one sitting. It's not like you're going to go, hey, Saturday, I'm going to feed everybody. A lot of times it takes several days to get through. So this way, when you're keeping your notes, you go through and go, today I fed arboreal row. I fed terrestrial row. And now you know all the spiders on the top are done, all the spiders on the bottom are done, and you can go to another section. So I like organizing by groups if it's possible because it's easier to track the feedings. It's easier when you're using different types of feeders. I have all of my slings or small juveniles in one area as well because those are the ones that are going to be getting the B lateralis roaches. And now that I just said that, I'm second guessing myself whether I said earlier that I feed my slings B doobie. I mean, B lateralis. So I get to self-correct just in case people are listening to this going, he feeds the big B doobie to the the smaller ones. No, I use my lateralis. I have a, always have a couple colonies of lateralis going. And I like the little teeny, little tiny pinheads and the little nymphs are perfect for the smaller slings. So I have, I like to keep all of my slings, the ones that I'm going to be feeding 
multiple times a week in one spot. And that makes it very easy for me to when I come up like on a work night and I go, all right, it's time to feed. I got to feed some stuff. I feed my slings, as I mentioned before, to usually two times a week. I know that I can just get all those slings down and feed them and they're all taken care of. So that's something to think about too. When labeling, obviously you want to make sure you have, I, I personally, I like scientific names. I like the common names. We did the whole thing like what happens if something happens to you and people have to take over your collection. Sometimes having both the scientific name and the common name would make it easier for somebody that had to take care of your collection and look up information just in case it was an emergency and not have to worry about wrestling with scientific names. But in the end, it all comes down to whatever you prefer. And then one other point I would make, so we've labeled them. We have them labeled. We have our scientific names. Maybe some people put the common names on. They're all nicely labeled. We've created our sections. Now, this is obviously not something that somebody only has a handful of them that's keeping them in a bedroom or a living room or something. Really, you'll have to worry about. Obviously, smaller collections, you can probably go through and feed them all in one shot. That's not a problem. I'm talking about folks that start getting up there, 50, 60, 70, 100, 100, whatever it may be. One thing you always want to be careful of is whenever you have one of those moments where you decide to go play basically Tetris with your enclosures and move your whole room around because you found new enclosures that you really like, but they fit better on another shelf, so you're moving them all around, always make notes of that because I will tell you one spot where things start to break down sometimes with my organization is if I suddenly move a bunch of things around and then I forget where I put something, and then sometimes it's out of sight, out of mind when you do feeding. You're like, oh, I fed all of my big terrestrials, forgetting that you just moved a bunch of big terrestrials to another side of the room. So you always want to make sure that you keep track whenever you move and kind of make mental notes of, yep, the guy that I'm used to feeding because he's right over here is now over this way. And sometimes that changes the order in which you feed. So for me, I think labeling tarantula enclosures is very easy. A lot of options out there. Please feel free to share the ones you use, especially the folks who do the really nice printed ones because I've seen some beautiful ones out there. I think there are even companies now that will make like these really nice decals that you'll put on that have all the information on, which is kind of cool if you're using glass enclosures or something. But whatever you use, make sure they're all labeled. That's an important thing, especially if you get in a situation where somebody else has to go and take care of your collection for you. So the next question was record keeping, dates of acquisition, sex, feedings, molds, rehouses. I'm going to be honest in that I am terrible with my record keeping. The problem is it's a lot of, I'm not the most organized person in the world. I am when it comes to like feeding and stuff like that. But as far as keeping data and making sure that I'm caught up with this kind of stuff, I've struggled with that over the years. I have a system that works for me. I don't have any issues with it, but I've spent a lot of time over the years trying different things to find something that would work best for me. And the funny thing was the first thing I started with is the last the thing I'm using now. So here are some of the things I've used over the course of the years to track and to record keep and feel free again to chime in for folks that have maybe something that I don't have on here because I think this is an important one because how you record keep can make or break your the hobby for you. It's it's important to record keep, but it also has to be something that's quick and intuitive and not something that's going to be cumbersome and kind of bog down the feeding or the care process. So the first thing I did with record keeping, I had a notebook. I'm a, I'm somebody that likes to keep a notebook, make notes in it, and I would keep a notebook and every time something would happen I would just jot down some notes. So back in the day, I had one where I just had all my spiders. I went through and wrote all their names down with like one or two per page. And then I would go through and just kind of make a note of the date when I'd feed them. I'd make a note when they molted. It was very, very simple, very low key, not particularly flashy. It was just, all right, my, I don't know, Fonapelma calcotis just ate. So I'd write down the, you know, fed and then the date. So I'd have one thing that said feeding and I'd just quickly jot down the, the date. Or my egg calcotis just molted and I'd quickly jot down the date for when it molted. And that was it. It was very Spartan. It wasn't really involved. It wasn't heavily detailed. I was just trying to get down the information and have it in a place that I could quickly flip through and go, all right, when did the Fonapelma calcotis molt? Here's his page. Boom. And then I got fancy and I decided I had picked up a new Chromebook and I decided instead of just writing stuff down, wouldn't it be easier to just have it on a computer and be able to do the notes in my computer? So I'd have the Chromebook open when I did feedings. I created, I believe it was a Google spreadsheet. And in that spreadsheet, I had all the species I kept alphabetized. I had things like the date they molted, the date they were fed, same type of information, when I got them, where I got them. Sex, if I figured out, if I was able to get figure out what sex it was. 
And the problem with this was there was a couple things. Number one, I alphabetized it, and that didn't fall in line with my way of feeding them, which I just explained, where I would go by sections. I would do the arboreal section. I would do the sling section. I would do the the fossorial section. So what ended up happening is I would feed, say, Phonopelma uh, calcotis. And if I'm a pelvic calcotis would be in a certain spot in the room, I'd go over to my computer, I'd open it up, I'd type in the information, awesome. Then I would end up doing, I don't know, avicularia, avicularia. So now I'm bouncing around the room and it freaked me out at first because I'm like, all right, the easiest way to go through this is just alphabetical order. Just go right down the row, feed everybody, right? But when I did that, it meant it didn't coincide with where everybody was in the room. So I was so afraid I was going to forget somebody. And it kind of got to be a pain in the butt having... Because back in the day, if everybody remembers, anybody watched my old YouTube videos, when I fed, I'd bring everybody out into my dining room and feed on the table. So now I have, you know, all my husbandry stuff, my water bottles, my spray bottles, whatever I'm using there, my tongs, my bin of feeders. I've got a bunch of enclosure. I take a bunch of enclosures out at once. And now I got a computer put up there and I'm trying to sit there and type stuff. It just didn't work for me. It, I used it for a few weeks. And then what would happen is I do a bunch of feedings and go, oh, I'll put these in later. And later would come, I'd forget. And I forgot what the heck I fed. So that didn't work for me. So the next thing I started using, which worked pretty well for a while, was the Tarantula app. This came out, oh gosh, quite a while ago. And I actually did, this was back when I was doing the Thomas Big Spiders website and, and very active on it. And I, I think I even might have interviewed the guy about it, the guy that created it, because I thought it was an awesome app. And the nice thing was I had a Kindle Fire that I used for, you know, everything but reading books. It was supposed to be for books and I ended up playing games on. But anyway, it worked on my Kindle Fire. There's a way to get it on there. So I had all of my collection loaded up into it. I did find that that was much more intuitive. If I was going to keep something by me, it was very easy to just click and say, all right, fed this one, boom, move on. This one molted, you just clicked it, moved on, put the data in. It worked beautifully. So I did use that for a while, but then one more time, I found myself going back to just keeping notes because I'd be like, oh, where's my Kindle? My Kindle isn't charger. You know what? I don't feel like having this on the table right now. I'll just have a notebook and jot down notes. So for me personally right now, I'm back to using the, we'll just call it a log or a journal. I just have a notebook. I jot the information down in it. I track it that way. I have a bunch of notebooks around here with all kinds of notes. And I use notebooks when I take notes for podcasts. I use notes uh, for a lot of the notebooks when I make notes for my videos. I just have like my bullet points on them sometimes. So it just works for me. That's been the easiest way. And the one that I think when it comes down to it, I'm most likely to use and use consistently because whatever you do, it has to be consistent. Now, some people are just naturally better at this. I've spoken to people that are just so on point when it comes to keeping track of what they're doing with their spiders, whatever means. I know somebody showed me once their, I believe it was a, a Microsoft spreadsheet. I was, my mind was blown. This person had some incredible <laughs> Microsoft spreadsheet, Excel, Excel is what it's called, skills. And it just, it had everything you'd want to know, color-coded, flipping amazing. It's just that worked for them, that wouldn't work for me. So I think with record keeping, it comes down to experimenting with some of the stuff that's out there and make it work for you. If you find something like a, an app and you're not using it, that's not your thing then. It's it's whatever works for you. I've seen people put together binders. They do whole pages. I've seen stuff where people have like the three ring binders and then they create beautiful pages for each spider. So each spider in the each page in the binder would be the spider with spots to write all this information and there's a lot of fun and cool things you can do with it. And in terms of the apps, the apparently the Tarantula app is done that he doesn't support it anymore. I was really disappointed because I went to update it recently and I'm like, "Oh, what do you mean it's not supported?" But I think the same guy that made that one now has one called the Exotic Keeper, which doesn't just have tarantulas it has other species as well. I believe if you have the old tarantula app, you can actually transfer the information from that into it. It's a wonderful and fairly intuitive way, an exhaustive way. You can put just about anything in there to track all the information you'd want on your spiders. There's also arachnophiles, I think it's called, which is a newer one that I've, I've heard mixed messages on. I've, I've heard, had some people tell me it it crashes sometimes. Although I went through, after hearing that, I went through and looked at the Google reviews on it and it looked like a lot of them were older mid last year so it looks like some of these things have been changed but I did open it up it looks pretty cool I do like the the 
it almost displays your spiders as cards. So when you click on the individual spider, you get a beautiful picture as the background with all the information on it. So that might be something to check out. Again, I haven't given it a lot of play yet or given it a lot of time because I just discovered it and I don't know if it's something I will end up using because it's just not my cup of tea. But again, find the most important part about record keeping Find what works best for you. Don't bother if you're not going to use the apps. Don't bother getting the apps and trying it. If you're not the type of person that's going to use a spreadsheet or Google Sheets, then don't bother. If you're the type that isn't going to take notes, you you like to be really careful with your data and you like that kind of stuff, use it. it comes down to whatever works for the individual. So as far as re- record keeping is concerned, try out some stuff, see what works for you, see what you're going to stick with, and then stick with it. Now, as far as scheduling was the next one, feedings, water bowl cleaning, refilling, spot cleaning, that's, as far as I'm concerned, an easy one for me because basically I do all of that stuff during feeding time. So I think I've mentioned before that when I do feed my spiders, I have that cart, I take them out, I take the top off the enclosure, I pull out any boluses I see, I pluck out anything I don't want in there, maybe I take the molds out so it doesn't explode and kill the spider. That's a joke for people who watch my videos because every time I leave a molt in, somebody freaks out that I left the molt in. But anyway, that's I do all that stuff at the same time. Pull out the water dish. If the water dish is soiled, I clean it. If it's one of the plastic cups I use and it's soiled, I take it out, replace it with a new plastic cup. A little trick that I've been using for years, and I kind of got this for when I work with snakes sometimes, just still be careful, but I found that once you open up a spider enclosure and they start eating and they get a couple crickets and they start kind of turning around webbing, you can kind of work in the the cage without worry about them charging across at you. Usually they're content to just hold on to whatever they got in their mouths, and I've used this for many, many years. That doesn't mean stick your hand in there. That doesn't mean you drop the tongs and go in barehanded. What it means is usually if they're preoccupied with something, that's a good time. They won't run. I've never had one run doing this. They sit there. They're doing their little happy dance at the opposite end, which is why I always try to feed them at the opposite end of where I want to work. And then I can go in, work in water dishes, pull the boluses out. Now, as far as scheduling, that can fall in line with your record keeping. That's something that's up to the individual keeper. Spiders don't need generally to eat as much as the keepers like to feed them. And what I mean by that is most of us want to feed them at least once a week. Some of us feed them more. In the wild, they're opportunistic when they hunt. They, they're not always going to have a steady source of prey. Some of them will sit there for quite a while waiting for something to come by that they can snatch up and eat. And when they're in our care, we kind of, we're more regular. We're humans. We're used to feeding things like dogs, cats. We're used to having set routines when we feed them what we do. So I think as far as scheduling feeding is concerned, and I always try to put this in my videos when I talk about feeding, pick a schedule that works for you. Now, does that mean that if you have spiders and you go, well, it's I can only get to them once every you know four or five months? No, obviously I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is if the weekly schedule doesn't work for you because you're finding it too hectic or there's not enough time to get around, there's nothing wrong with feeding them every other week. There's nothing wrong with feeding your larger ones, even some of your smaller ones, larger meals once a month because that always comes into play. If you're dropping in one tiny cricket to your adult for Mictibus cancerides, yeah, that's a little, and, and you're doing it once a month, yeah, that's a little underboard as far as, if that's even a word, as far as feeding. But if you're dropping in several crickets or a big fat dubia roach or a couple big fat dubia roaches, yeah, you can lay off for a while. You can probably go six weeks in between. The point is when you schedule your feedings, water bowl cleanings, et cetera, at least your feedings, find something that works for you. I like to do it more often because, again, I like to do the maintenance. Now, if you're feeding once a month, and it's wintertime, and you're noticing your water dishes are evaporating too quickly, then you may want to schedule an in-between shot where you go around and change the water dishes. I just find it easier that if I'm opening up an enclosure, and I'm going to fill up a water dish, or I'm going to add water to the substrate because it's starting to dry out, for example. That's another thing you need to be careful of. Then I find it's easier to just go ahead and drop the food in at the same time, which is why I have a more aggressive schedule. But as long as you're feeding, you know, your spiders are in good shape, as long as you're not letting the water dishes dry out, as long as you're not letting boluses pile up and mold, as long as you're making sure that the ones that are moisture dependent always have that layer of substrate on the bottom that's moist, figure out what schedule works for you and stick to it. And I think another important thing to consider is you can always adjust your schedules. I have different times a year in the summertime. I have all the time in the world and it's warm up here. They're all molting like crazy. I tend to feed a lot more often. I check them a lot more often because it gets hot up here. The water dishes, once again, can evaporate. 
As a result, I'm checking them a bit more often. There's flexibility. There's a flexibility with the scheduling that you might not have with a dog or a cat or even a rabbit. Whatever your other pet is, you're feeding them at least once a day. You're changing the water constantly. You're changing their bedding with regularity. There's a lot more with that. With spiders, it's not so much. So whatever you do, pick a schedule. Don't feel like you have to do a super aggressive schedule, but pick one that obviously makes sure the spiders are cared for, that they're in a clean environment, they have clean, fresh water, that they're getting enough food, but also pick a schedule that allows you to enjoy those moments when you're feeding or doing the water bowl cleaning or refilling or spot. Whatever you're doing, it should be, that should be the fun part of the hobby. For me, the fun part of the hobby isn't always making videos or doing the rehousings or doing some of the, the other stuff that goes along with it. For me, the fun part is usually when you sit down, you relax, and we're going to get to this in a moment, and you just do some feedings for a couple hours. And you're feeding them, you're checking them out, you're getting pictures of them to throw up on Instagram so that you can show other people. You're getting video of them just because there's one out that you haven't seen in a while. Those are the fun moments when you're, it's relaxing. Those are the, That's the quote-unquote quality time you're spending with your animals. So that should always be uh, to me, a fun part, that, that basic maintenance, and if it starts to be a chore, that's when it gets to be a problem, and we'll get to that in a minute. So scheduling, pick a schedule that works for you, monitor it, adjust as needed, be be open to changing it, depending upon you know whether or not the spiders need it, and then also on how your life is going. If things are getting a little hectic, you can spend a little less time there. The trick is to not have it become a chore. Next one, we have being time efficient and making time for other hobbies. This can be a difficult one for folks with larger collections because I think what happens is you start to get to the point where it's one of, like a lot of us to get into tarantula keeping have other hobbies. I've mentioned before that I have other things I do. I enjoy, I play video games at times. I enjoy, I used to play a lot more video games, I will tell you, before I started doing all this stuff. I enjoy drawing. I was an artist. I did illustration work for a while that I did more as a hobby. I, it was just a fun outlet. I enjoy writing. I enjoy watching movies. There was so much I used to do, and now the majority of my spare time is centered around the hobby. Now, part of it for me is the fact that I started doing the website, started doing the YouTube videos, started doing the podcast. That adds time to it for me. I enjoy it, and as long as I enjoy it, I will continue doing it. But that is something that has kind of eroded away on some of the things that I used to do beforehand. Now, is that a problem? No. Right now, I enjoy doing this. I put a lot into the hobby. I have a lot to show for it. And so I'm enjoying it. But if it ever got to the point where I said, hey, you know what? I want to go back. I want to do some drawing again. I want to do some artwork. I want to do some painting. That's going to take away from this time. Then something might have to go. The idea is when you're a tarantula hobbyist, the last thing you want to happen, and this falls in line with the scheduling and some other things we're going to talk about a little later on, the last thing you want to happen is for it to become a burden, for it to become a chore, for it to not be, oh, sweet, I want to go home tonight and feed some spiders more. Oh, God, I got to go home tonight and feed the spiders again. Ugh. Or you're feeding them, and when you're feeding them, it's dispassionate. It's with some measure of irritation because it's like, oh, I got to do this, but I got so many other things I want to do. And that is something folks will wrestle with if they get into the deep end. And by the deep end, I mean when you start getting collections of 50, 75, 100, anything over 100, you're definitely in the deep end. It means you're going to be spending, if you're doing this correctly, even if you're not doing an aggressive schedule with your feedings, water bowl cleanings, refilling, all that stuff, you're still spending a lot of time working with your spiders. So I think the trick with this is number one, always put your animals first. Now, does that mean that, oh, well, I've got this huge collection and now I'm kind of bitter that I have to take care of it. So therefore, I just got to force myself to feed them. No, that means you've probably gotten to a point where you're kind of burning out and it might be time to get rid of some of them. And I hate to say that, but there are points and I have spoken to people that realize they got in so deep that it's kind of absorbing their whole life and they downsize a little bit. You'll see a lot of times on like, well, it used to happen a lot on arachnoboards and sometimes at Facebook groups, you get people that are like, hey, not getting out of the hobby, but I need to do some downsizing. Sometimes they're downsizing to make room for other 
specimens or other species they want to keep. Sometimes they're downsizing because they realize I reached a point where I am not doing right by my spiders or I'm doing right by my spiders, but it's making my mental health suffer. And they decide it's time to kind of thin the herd a bit, so to speak. So I think it's very important. And this is a great point. One of the reasons I was kind of excited about doing this topic, because I think this is something that other folks go through as well. I know I've had moments where it's like back in the day, I mentioned earlier, I used to play a lot more video games. I'd, I'd play several video games a year. I, I have certain ones I really enjoy that I'd spend a lot of time with. And now it's like I'd sit down and go to play a video game and immediately feel guilty because I knew I had rehousings to do or know that I should be, I felt as if I should be feeding something. And that, there was a point where that started to wear on me a little bit. It's like, man, I have no time for the other fun things I like doing. Or sometimes I, you'll feel like, Hey, the other hobbies are to relax from the spider hobby, and that can be a problem when suddenly you're finding on you're taking on other relaxing hobbies to replace what used to be a relaxing hobby and now has become a burden. That's an important thing, and I think a lot of folks experience that when they start really keeping a lot of animals. So how do you know when this is becoming an issue? Well, again, is there going to be an occasion where it's like, I've got something to do and, oh gosh, I, I really got to feed things. That's going to happen. There's going to be moments where you're feeding or doing maintenance and you're just, you have other things you feel like you need to do and you're kind of rushing through it. That's always going to happen. We have other things that pop up in life, you know, our personal lives, whether it be family, whether it be, you know, you've got a wedding to go to, you're going on vacation. It, it becomes a bit of a burden for a second. We're talking about not that situational burden or that situational burnout where you're just like, oh man, I have so much to do. And now this is becoming stressful. We're talking about when it's chronic, when it's like, I don't feel that spark anymore when every time you go up there and start feeding them, there's a problem. So I think the only thing you can say for this and how you, you know, be efficient. I mean, we've just talked about ways to streamline everything and as far as scheduling, but I do think recognizing when and being truthful to yourself, when you start to realize, or if you start to realize, Hey, this is starting to tip from being fun to being a bit of a chore. That's when you need to make some changes. That's when you got to start realizing that, Hey, you know what? Stop buying so many tarantulas. I mean, we all get to that moment where we see something that's a great deal. Somebody's running another super sale or something, or there's a, you know, somebody's got a freebie you want, or you see a spider that's been on your wish list forever. But you also realize you just went up and did a feeding and kind of felt exhausted and drained afterwards instead of feeling like rejuvenated and like you just had a really good time and a fun time up there doing it. So I think part of it is. Obviously, if your record keeping's on point, if you're not buying too many spiders more than you can comfortably take care of, if you have your scheduling down to a point where the animals are being cared for appropriately, but you're, it's not absorbing every moment of your time, this shouldn't be an issue. If you start feeling like it's being an issue, then it's time to make some changes. So for example, if you're out here right now looking at your spider collection going, Oh man, I really wanted to go play basketball with the boys today, but unfortunately I got to do feedings. Ugh. Time to reevaluate, time to figure out, you know, do you need to make some changes with the amount of animals you keep? Do you need to look at your scheduling? Something's got to get, but don't let it be something that drags off because I have unfortunately been privy to people who have admitted to me and they've been ashamed of it that I, you know, they got in over their head. They started getting lazy as far as taking care of their animals. They started having deaths as a result of it, and they felt terrible about it. And there's you don't want it to get to the point where your animals are dying because you're not caring for them correctly because you have other things you want to do, and they're going to demand too much of your time. So that's a tricky question, and I think that, again, many of us to get into tarantulas have other hobbies as well. It's a matter of being truthful to yourself, having those moments where you sit down, figure out what do I enjoy doing, how much time do I need to enjoy all of these activities, and how do I make that work with my collection. And at the end of the day, when you're talking with trend, you know, if you're talking about going to play ball with your friends or watching football games with your friends or playing video games or other hobbies, those don't have involve animals that are going to suffer and die if you're not doing them. So the animals, the first thing you need to look at is your collection, your animals first and decide what do I need to do to make sure they're taken care of correctly. And if it's too much of a burden right now to take care of all of them correctly, then it's time to either downsize or get out of the hobby. That's my honest to God belief on that. And I've met many people that have done it. It's not something to be ashamed of. As a matter of fact, I think the people that recognize it early on and do it at the right time, it's a smart thing to do. This isn't something you can do, especially have a collection of hundreds of animals and not be into. That's not going to work out. So that would be my advice and my take on that and having worked with many people over the years that have gone through this. Believe me, I get it. It's real. And if you're somebody that's going through it yourself, don't beat yourself up over it, but do something about it. That's the most important thing. Feeling guilty about it and 
forcing yourself to care for them, not the way to go. So the next one was tracking and inventorying feeders, substrate, containers, and other supplies. This is an interesting one for me because honestly, I don't really inventory my feeders. I have at any given time, I have my bee dubia colony. I have right now two bee lateralis colonies. I got another box of small bee lateralis a while back. Didn't end up feeding out even close to half of them. They grew up. They had babies. And I have like two big colonies going, which is great. And then obviously I buy crickets usually around once a month or so. And to head off the person out there that just heard this and went, wait a minute, you've got all these other roaches. Why are you bothering with crickets? Honestly, I find crickets a lot. Everything takes crickets. Everything I have will eat crickets, which is one thing. And number two, I'm much faster with them. I'm able to pluck those little guys out like a ninja with the tongs, plucking them out, toss three, four, five of them in there really quick, move on to the next spider. So for me, they're super convenient. But for, I don't, I mean, I obviously have to inventory the crickets. Like right now, I went to do some feeding this morning. I checked on my crickets. I'm getting a little bit low. So probably within the next two weeks or so, it'll be time to order another box. What I do is I have a local pet store that I can order a box of a thousand large crickets at a time. And then I'll supplement those by feeding the larger ones. Sometimes I get the big bee dubia. Somebody at just a larger spider that just molted. I always give a couple bee dubia to fatten them up a little bit before I switch back to crickets. And then the smaller ones, again, get the bee lateralis roaches. So I don't know. It's a weird one. I, I do have to kind of keep track of my crickets. And that is part of my budget. And I'll move on to the budget part in a moment. But I don't have, I have had situations like, one summer, I went and I couldn't get crickets for a while. It was like they, they didn't have any crickets. So luckily, I had uh, a lot of adult bee lateralis, older. I had a lot of males, had a lot of older females. So I was feeding those out, but I overdid it and kind of bit too much into my colony and then didn't have a lot for reproducing. So that became an issue. And what I did was just replenished. I went and ordered some more, and which I just alluded to. I ordered a box of smaller ones to kind of add to it and grow up. And then I grew those up in a separate box and had another whole colony mixed to match them, add some new blood in there. So I don't know. The, the tracking... The feeders I find very easy because I'm feeding all the time and it's very easy for me to make a mental note. Oh, I'm going to need crickets in a week or so. Or, hey, you know what? It's time to mix in some new blood as far as these roaches. Or the, the bee doobie, I'm going to pick up some more because I fed off a bunch of the big ones. I hate feeding off females. I've always hated off feeding off females, but they're big, they're juicy, they make a good you know, after molt meal for them. So then maybe it's time for me to pick up some more. So I'm pretty, I find that pretty easy to monitor and I don't really need to do anything special for that. The one thing I do kind of have to keep track of are my supplies, my cork bark, my moss, my leaf litter, water dishes, um, even enclosures. That's something, that's a big thing for me is recognizing when I'm starting to run low on things. And I do keep track of that. And I will make notes about when I start getting running low. I never want to be, I've had this happen a couple times in the past where I'm all excited to do a rehousing and I'm go, oh my gosh, I'm completely out of substrate. How did I do that? Or I go to throw some moss in and I realize I used up my last bag of moss and forgot to order new stuff. So I do keep track of that. I have a budget for what I generally spend per month on them. I have a budget for what I use for, you know, to buy enclosures and such. And I think that's important for you to figure out what your budget is because there is going to come to a point, And I think a lot of folks find themselves with this conundrum where you've picked up a bunch of slings. They're not taking up a lot of room. It doesn't cost a lot of money to house slings. And then all of a sudden they're three, four inches and you want to put them in an adult enclosure and you're like, Oh gosh, what do I put them in? And adult enclosures, if you're trying to do nicer stuff, can be pricey, can be expensive. So I think it is important to always monitor. I have lists, running lists, and I always do this, and this is part of my record keeping of spiders that I plan to rehouse and what I want to put them in. So what I will do is periodically, I will stop, like I just did this, because for Christmas, I got a bunch of new enclosures. And I had some others that I had picked up. I picked up some found enclosures at Walmart, some Sterilite ones to put some in. And I just received some enclosures from Tarantula Cribs to check out and kind of see what I thought of them. Beautiful enclosures. Now I have, I'm looking at probably 20 larger, beautiful showcase type enclosures that now need spiders in them. So for me, I what I will do is I will make a list of the enclosures I have. I will make a list of the spiders that I know need rehousing soon. Ones that need, you know, some of them, it's a matter of, hey, you know what? It's full grown. It's in this crummy, you know, milky, sterile container. I want it some beautiful. Some of them are ones like, all right, this was in its juvenile enclosure. It's completely outgrown it. It needs to go into a better enclosure. And then I start matching them 
up. And that's usually when I will make a big order for all of my supplies. So I don't generally buy little supplies here and there like, oh, I'll buy a bag of moss here. I'll buy a bag of moss there. What I do is kind of save up my money. And then when I'm getting ready to do a bunch of big rehousings, like I'm getting ready to do a bunch of re big rehousings now, then I go out and drop a lot of money at one time on all the things I need. So for example, I just purchased, uh, went to New England Herp, any Herp, which I love buying a lot of my you know cage fixings from the cork bark. I just picked up leaf litter. I bought up some cork branches, some other types of branches, some driftwood, things that I can try out, some types of pods to decorate the enclosures. Put in a huge order from them for, I think I bought 10 pounds of cork bark, all this other stuff, just to create some nice enclosures. Then I headed over to the BioDude and bought a bunch of uh, bulk crates of the BioDude substrate, Terra Arania. I usually, at this time of year, would also go out, because I tend to use that for some things, and I also mix my own. Unfortunately, it's wintertime, so I went to go to my local hardware stores to see if they had un you know, unwrapped the dirt yet that they usually have. Unfortunately, during the wintertime, they shrink wrap it all and keep it there. I couldn't get any, so I'm kind of in a spot where I'm having to use the BioDude stuff, but as soon as spring comes, I will be buying a bunch of fixings to make mix up my own substrate. So I buy everything all at once. In that way, I have a bunch of stuff on hand because there's always changes in plans. There's always a lot of times I'll have a bunch of a list of spiders that I want to rehouse, and all of a sudden I'll check on another one and go, actually, this is an emergency case. This guy needs to be rehoused right now. It just completely outgrew. Like I just had a Zanesta species that molted in my little Systema enclosure, and it's way too big for this enclosure. So that one jumped right to the top of the list. So by having doing this, a, I'm not hemorrhaging funds for my hobby. I basically strategically set, you know, several hundred bucks aside, whatever it is. I mean, for me, it's obviously several hundred because I have a lot of stuff I have to buy, but it could be smaller. But I set aside, buy everything at once so that I have it so it's easier to keep track of. So then I can mark down on my little ledger. All right, I just dropped X amount of dollars on fixings for enclosures and enclosures. And then that's how I usually keep track. And again, I have the little notebook, whatever anybody uses to keep track of their budget. I, if you're like me in this hobby, you need a budget because it, it's so easy to spend money, if not on spiders. But once you start, I think some of us get to that point where we have enough spiders, we're looking to upgrade all their enclosures. That opens up a whole new avenue, a, a whole new way to spend gobs of money because there's so much nice stuff out there. So I do think if you have a budget, stick to it recognize what you can afford, recognize that, yes, this can be, when you start getting the bigger spiders, it's going to eat into that budget. I mean, again, we can all do the Sterilite containers. You don't have to do super nice enclosures or whatever, but just keep in mind of what you want, what do you want to keep them in, and be very careful that you're not biting off more than you can chew or more than your budget will allow. I think that is another pitfall, another trap that people can fall into in this hobby, that it becomes very easy to suddenly have this big collection of spiders that a moment ago were just little slings. Now they're adults, and now you're struggling to find things to put them in. I've had folks like email me in a panic like, oh my gosh, do you have any enclosures you could recommend because I've got all these ones I've got to rehouse, and I don't know what I'm going to put them in. Always have that in the back of your mind. Always have some type of way to keep track of your inventory. That's, I think, very important to have. And, and that's, again, why I like the whole journal thing because then I don't have to have a spreadsheet for the spiders or an app for the spiders. I have just my journal that I can flip through. I'm looking through mine right now. Here's some feedings. Here's my list of the ones I plan on rehousing. Here's a list of the materials I was going to need, which I picked up just about all of them already. That's easier as far as I'm concerned to track that kind of stuff. So then you can get it all at once, have it there, know you're all set for when those inevitable rehousings come around. And uh, another thing to be very careful with, because I've heard people struggle with this before, always make sure that you have a budget for your feeders, because feeders can be pricey, especially if you start getting up, you know, a lot of them, if you're able to raise, if you find that you're sick of buying your own, definitely look into creating your own colonies for roaches and whatnot. I don't do, I've had people ask me about creating feeder colonies using crickets. I'm not even playing with that. They, I'm good at keeping the ones that I get alive, but I would not want to have to raise them. But the roach colonies are a great alternative. If there is somebody out there that has cricket colonies and they're successful, please chime in. We'd love to hear from you. But I think 
being not only keeping that budget and keeping, you know, track of your stock as far as what you have for enclosures and all that stuff, being able to keep track of your budget for feeders is important too. Cause I can tell you, we went through a period when I first got into the hobby and was starting to get a lot of spiders that all of a sudden the budget for feeding was really getting up there and really eating into my money as far as buying new spiders. I had to actually stop because I'm like, it's costing a lot to feed these guys. So that's something to keep in mind too. So for the final point, we have avoid burnout due to the more repetitive requirements of the hobby. We kind of covered the whole point earlier when you start getting overwhelmed and it becomes a chore, but what happens when it's you're not so much getting overwhelmed, it's getting boring. I, I mean, here's my honest take on this. If you're sitting there and you are looking at your collection, you're bored by it, you're getting no joy out of feedings, you're getting no joy out of rehousings, you're spending less and less time with the spiders, you're cared for correctly, but you're just not feeling it, it may be time to get out of the hobby. And that's my honest answer. That's my gut instinct answer that if you've reached the point where you're getting no joy out of it, that's not a good place to be. This is, anytime you're dealing with animals, there has to be, I think, some type of patch in there, at least to care for them. You have to get some joy out of doing it. And I will tell you that when, if I ever get to the point where I'm up there feeding and doing maintenance, I'm like, oh, God, I'm so done with this. Then it's going to be time for me to get out because then what is there? I think maintenance and the feeding is usually for most of us a relaxing part of our day. It's the part where, I, and I've spoken to many, many people over the years that say the same thing. They have a rough day at work. Sometimes the first thing they do is shoot up the spider room and they feed and it relaxes them. It, it should be a good thing, a positive thing, a calming thing, something we look forward to. And if it ever becomes like a burnout situation, then you either need to downsize or get out. But how do you avoid burnout? Well, I think there's a couple things. A, yes. Is it repetitive? Absolutely. Which means it can be one of those things that you're kind of almost doing two things at once. And what I mean by that is I think it's very well known that I listen to a lot of music, huge metal fan. One of the things I like to do is I listen to, I have album listening parties, so to speak. A new album will come out and I'll go upstairs to the tarantula room. I'll throw the new album on and have a nice little listening party while I'm feeding spiders. I love it. Sometimes I'm up there and there's no new album. I just go on Amazon. I pick some group that I haven't heard of before that somebody recommended. I go, you know what? Let me check this album out. And I throw it on there. Listening to music has been huge for me. I've also had movies playing. I'm one of these types that can put on movies. Like I watch movies over and over and over again. So I'll put on a movie I like kind of as background noise while I'm doing it. So I can kind of half watch, half listen as I'm doing the feeding. Again, it's a way to kind of occupy. I do kind of have the old ADHD brain where I kind of have to have two things going at once. So it allows me to kind of do the more boring feeding while I'm watching a movie. And again, I'm obviously paying attention to the spiders not like I'm staring at the screen, but it's usually something I've seen before or something I like on for background noise. I've heard a lot of people that like to listen to books on tape when they're feeding and doing their maintenance. So they go up in the house. I was just talking to somebody that said they listened to a whole book on tape while they're doing all this restructuring of their tarantula room. It's another way to kind of be doing two things at once. So you're, you're getting to quote unquote, read a book and you're getting to work with your spiders. Consequently, I know a lot of folks that also like to listen to podcasts when they are doing their feeding and maintenance and working with their spiders. And, and it's not just, I mean, I know a good one you can listen. I'm totally kidding. But I, I have a lot of folks that they listen to Tom's Big Spiders podcast while they're feeding. They listen to other things. A lot of people listen to the Joe Rogan podcast, things of that nature. Different ones. It's just another way to kind of bring a level of entertainment in on top of what can be, yes, very requ repetitive requirements of tarantula care. There's not a lot to do. You take down, and my feeding involves, I open the cage, pluck, uh, drop in a couple crickets. As soon as it grabs the crickets, pull out the water dish, clean it out, grab the bowls, just boom, onto the next one. And I do that, what, 200 and something times around here. So having music, videos, movies, playing books on tape, podcasts, I you know a lot of folks, what helps them is, again, is the you, doing YouTube videos, doing something like that, even if it's just for fun to show friends. Having that added element that, hey, I just went to feed this one and it, you know, it's out and about and I haven't seen it out in a while. I'm going to get some video footage of it or talking about the care of them or whatever their favorite species, whatever they decide to do a YouTube channel on that sometimes adds to it because now there's, I can tell you that one of the big, most exciting things and, and sometimes slows down my feedings, but when I open something up and get a good, you know, feeding clip or I open something up and something I haven't seen for a while comes out at it, it adds an element to the hobby. Maybe, you know, having an Instagram account where you're posting up photos, you go out, you're feeding them, you're getting beautiful photos of them, you're getting some reactions from people that also enjoy spiders. There's a lot you can do to kind of spice up the overall, you know, again, repetitive requirements of the hobby. So I think... Part of it is recognizing that even when you're feeding, there's a lot of other things you can do, you know, with listening, 
and even having like a movie on the background or things of that nature that can take away some of the boredom. But I would, again, I would worry if it's really becoming that much of a chore, something's got to give. It means you've even got either gotten too deep into the deep end, you're in over your head, or you've lost your, it happens. Sadly, people get in the hobbies, they're all excited, gung-ho about it, and then suddenly they lose that spark and it's like, all right, I'm not really finding this is fun anymore. Again, when it comes down to it, you need to kind of have a moment where you sit down, have a chat with yourself and say, is this something I'm really committed to? Is this something I'm really into still? And if that answer is no, then it's time to get out. That's the right thing to do. And it's funny because I've over the years seen many people and been privy to people that have you know commented on my YouTube channel and that I've interacted with through email that have eventually wandered away from the hobby. And there's always a bit of an aw moment, like why? But then the there should be they should be applauded for recognizing that hey this is it i'm not able to give them the attention or i i don't i no longer have that drive or that excitement i used to have so rather than have my collection start you know the, the pet care start suffering rather than having my animals languish away as i begrudgingly take care of them I'm going to do the right thing and make sure they go to somebody that will appreciate and care for them. And I've seen people give away whole collections because they're like, listen, love the animals. I just want them to go to a good home because I just don't have the energy for it anymore. So I think that would be my answer for that if we follow what I was doing before and, you know, the earlier points about making sure that you keep enough, you're efficient enough, or make sure that you have time for your other hobbies. That's important, and that's a huge part of it. If you have other hobbies that you like to do, you need to gauge how much time you want to spend on the tarantula hobby, and then you need to make sure that you don't get into a situation where you've taken on more than you can chew, and it's biting into the other hobbies and creating a situation where it's no longer fun anymore. That's when it's time to get out. Because if we're being honest, at the end of the day, when you're keeping tarantulas, every aspect of it should be enjoyable. It should never be a burden. So hopefully that helps answer those questions. I hope I like doing topics like this every once in a while because it makes me think of some things I've gone through because I think we've all been at that spot. I remember a couple years back, there was one point where work was picking up, life was picking up, and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to sustain this because I want it. I have a certain standard of care and I think it's important. We all have a certain standard of care. Golden rule. If anything comes out of this, make sure when you get into the hobby, you set the guidelines for your standard of care. This is the care I want to give these animals. And then if you find yourself flexing away from that or making compromises to how you're caring for your animals, that's when it's time to have a sit down with yourself and try to figure out how to make some changes. And I think that the questions asked about how to organize, how to feed, how to keep track of this stuff, all incredibly important to give thought to before you get too deep into the hobby, because those are the things that start to eat away, you know, whether they're eating away at your wallet and causing stress there in a situation where all of a sudden you need to spring a bunch of money to buy enclosures or whatever, or prey items if you're on a fixed budget and all of a sudden it's like, oh crud, I have to buy a bunch of crickets. I don't have the money for this. These are all things you want to kind of hammer out ahead of time. And these are all things that I kind of had to go through as we went. When we first started doing this Tom's Big Spider stuff, we were not in the same financial situation we're in now, for lack of a better phrase, and not to get too into things, but money was tighter. Money was much tighter. It was something I enjoyed doing, but I really had to be careful about this stuff, like what I was going to spend money on. It, it, sometimes it comes down to you can't buy those new spiders because you need to worry about the ones you already have. So thank you to Earth's Geomancer. This is why I think this is such a wonderful topic, because these are things I didn't think about until... I had to think about it, if it makes if it makes sense. These are all things that are going to, if you think about them now, come up with your battle plan, go through this podcast. I'm going to probably put, when I do the description, the, the topics we're going to cover. This may be a good spot for you guys to cut and paste those, put them on some type of you know word program or something, and go in there and kind of think about this. What? How do I label my tea enclosures? How can I organize my collection to make it easier to care for them, to, again, make things more efficient? How do I record keep? How do I keep track of all this stuff again? Again, to make things easier. How do I schedule? Is my schedule a good one? Am I being too aggressive with my schedule? Is there a way I could change it to make it so that it's a little easier, a little less stressful for me? Am I able to find time for the other hobbies I enjoy or is or am I getting so deep into the tarantula hobby that's starting to cut into that? And am I suffering because of that? Or you know, am I not able to unwind as well because of that? 
all of these topics, how to track what I'm going to need to buy and what I'm going to spend so I don't get stressed out by that because nothing's more stressful than trying to figure out where to come up with the money for things you need. Awesome topic. Great things to think about. I would encourage everybody out there, whatever spot you are in the hobby now, to just... After you hear this, take a pause, go through those different topics and say, what are you doing? What are you doing for it? And share it with us. I'm again, this is just my take. And what I did was kind of take a walk down memory lane and reflect on some of the things that I did that definitely didn't do all these correctly. And I definitely didn't give these a lot of these questions a thought until it was, I was kind of forced to, but no matter where you are in the hobby, take a moment, go through, what are you doing for this? What, What do you do? Please, if you have any advice for folks getting in the hobby, let us know in the comments. I will definitely go over some of these in next podcast. I think it'd be a great way to start to go here. Here are some things other people do to make sure that they don't burn out. And here are some other things people do to organize. Here are some other ways people keep track of when they need to do feedings or bowl, whatever it may be. All those questions, let me know. So that will do it for this one. Uh, as for YouTube, I just put up, Billy and I did our first live stream, which I have always been deathly afraid of doing, mostly because it was mostly because when we were at the old house, we did it right in our kitchen. We always did all the videos right in the kitchen, and my house is crazy, so you never know when there's going to be kids saying something in the background, dogs barking, I've had videos I had to stop because somebody would come to the door and the dogs go nuts, we have to stop. So now they have the tarantula room, I wanted to give it a shot. It basically came down to, I didn't feel like spending the whole day up here editing, I wanted to spend time downstairs my family. So I'm like, let's do something I don't even have to edit. So we did it and we had a lot of fun. So I'm definitely going to do it again. Next time I'll probably announce it. This time I didn't want a lot of people on because I didn't know how bad it was going to go. And I'm always afraid because I have a terrible habit of when I screw something up saying terrible, terrible things. And I didn't want that to happen during the video and me have to stop the podcast and immediately go delete it so nobody would ever see it again. But it went great. I think it allowed Billy and I's personalities to come out a little bit more. It felt a little more like a podcast because I wasn't trying to trim it down and just get all my points in succinctly. I could kind of discuss things. Sometimes people would ask questions while I was working. I can answer them. So really enjoy that and had a lot of fun with it. Definitely we'll try that again. So that will do it for this one. As always, you can find me on thomasbigspiders.com. You can find me on YouTube. You can find us the podcast on Thomas Big Spiders podcast. If you want to leave a comment about how you deal with these various topics and organization and keeping this hobby manageable and fun. That's all for me, guys. Have a great one. We'll catch you all next time.